This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by the Focused Leader One Day Intensive, a live event to help leaders move their business from reactive to radical growth. Find out more at FocusedLeader.com. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt-Miller. And this is Lead to Win, the weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. And in this episode, we're talking about a problem all leaders face, how to ask for help when you need it. Easier said than done, right? It is because, you know, we don't want to bother people and we think people are probably going to say no and they're too busy and it kind of makes us feel small to ask. But it's vital to be able to rally people to help you when you need it. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Well, there's another reason, too. I think sometimes we think as leaders, we have to have all the answers. Right. We have to know how to do all this stuff. And if we admit to somebody that we need their help, that maybe it's an admission that somehow we're inadequate as a leader. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's neither of those things. But as always, Larry Wilson, one of our senior content creators, is going to walk us through this subject. Hey, Larry. Hey, guys. Hey, I want to start off with a question for Megan. You know, you are the COO so of our company, so you uh, have a lot of people under your purview. But there's got to be times when you need help that's sort of beyond that. Uh, have you ever had to ask somebody outside the organization to kind of jump in and help with something? And how did that go? Yes, absolutely. Um, Regularly, (laughs) I need outside help. In fact, that's one of the things I feel like, Dad, that I've really learned from you that you've modeled well is that as a leader, you don't have to have all the answers. You just need to find the people who do have the answers and they're out there. Um, But this came up for me a couple years ago as our organization was really taking off and we were scaling rapidly. And so our organizational design, you know, kind of like how people were arranged in the company needed to have a futuristic plan to kind of grow into. But that's not an area of expertise for me. You know, unfortunately, I did not get a PhD in organizational design, put that on the list of a million degrees I would have gotten if I'd only known. Um, But, uh, you know, I just thought, well, I can learn about this myself. So I ordered all the books on Amazon. That's always kind of like my first line of defense. And they were so academic. (laughs) And, you know, I just, again, I just don't have the expertise to kind of translate something super theoretical into something that's actionable for the company. Those are the kind of books you don't want to read when you're operating heavy machinery. Oh my gosh. Right, because your eyes glaze over. You make it through about two pages and you know the yawn exactly. sets in. So so I didn't make a lot of progress on my own. So finally, um, what I decided to do was to reach out uh, to our good friend, John Cramp, who um, is a publishing friend of yours, who has dad, yep. who has a lot of experience in many aspects of business, one of which is organizational design, and just totally asked him to, you know, would he get together with us and help us figure this out? So it wasn't like a formal consulting thing. It was really just a friendship request that we made really for a favor. And he was absolutely happy to do it. He did end up consulting with us, though um, we did not pay him for it. You know, he, he wouldn't he, take any money. He wouldn't take any money. Um, but he's he's just so wise. And we benefited um, tremendously from the insight that he had as an outside perspective on our business. Well, he does have a graduate degree. Uh, it's not an organizational design, but he has an MBA mm-hmm. from the Kellogg School of Management. That's great. And so he has a lot of theoretical stuff. He's very analytical. And in fact, I was reminding you as we were preparing for this episode that there was a time before when we reached out to him for his help, when we were trying to figure out how all the stuff that we make integrates together. Right. And he came up with a model that we're still using to this day. In mm-hmm. fact, we just recently resurrected it, dusted it off, put a new coat of paint on it, and it's become... Uh, kind of the guiding force 
for this new initiative that we're going to be announcing soon uh, for this year. Well, and I think what happens if you don't ask for help as a leader is that you end up chasing your tail. You know, you, you get stuck on problems that you don't know how to solve and you're limited to your own resources. And so you just stay stuck going in circles. And that's what asking for the right help can help you break out of is to get beyond your own level of expertise. Indeed. Okay, so today we're talking about asking for help, and we're finding out the very best way to get the help you need is just to ask for it. That's not always easy to do, so we've come up with five tips to help you ask others or enlist others to help you. And tip number one is this, make it about them, not about you. What do we mean by that? Well, I think that Typically, we assume that people are reluctant to help or give extra time or somehow we're being an imposition on them. But I think that we have to make it clear to them why we think that they're uniquely qualified to help us. So, for example, in the case with John, um, I knew, and in fact, I said to Megan as she was getting frustrated with all these books that she had ordered and said, man, <laughs> I just can't get through these books because they're so so stinking boring. And I said, well, you know what we should do? We should see if John could help us. Because he's more gifted at organizational design than anybody I know. He's worked in a couple of different contexts where this has become a real live issue. He's had to solve it before. And so when we contacted John, the thing we said to him was not, hey, you know, you're a warm body. You can fog him here. Could you help us? <laughs> you know, we said specifically, look, we need some help with organizational design. And as we were thinking through our options, we, we really don't know of anyone better than you. We think you could really add some value to us. And in fact, we said to him, we're happy to pay you for this, and we would just love the opportunity to, to share the problem with you and, and get your brain on this problem for a while. I think this is so much of a mindset issue, too, you know, as you're considering asking for help, because as long as you're telling yourself that it's all about you and your needs and why would anybody want to help you solve your problems, and especially if they're not getting paid for it, you know, then you're really going to get in your own way. But if you can see it from their perspective, which is people have a desire to make a contribution. Mm -hmm. It feels good to give people advice, for example, when you're the expert and you know that it's going to create a breakthrough for them. That's a, a really positive experience, even if there's no money involved. And so if you can remember that when you're asking that sometimes you're giving uh, someone an opportunity to express themselves, to make a contribution um, that can be really satisfying or enjoyable to them, then it can help you get over that mental block. You know, it's interesting that uh, during the hurricane a couple of years ago, Hurricane Harvey uh, 2017, Facebook raised over $10 million in relief for that hurricane. And that's just obviously by Facebook notices. Uh, that's the, the way they did it. What it tells me is people really do want to be helpful. Yeah, I think it's a great point. You know, I can think of a situation that I had just yesterday where I was called in to do some one-on-one -on -one coaching with an individual. And I, I almost never do one-on -one coaching. In fact, I would say never. This is an exception to the rule. But I was pretty excited about it because I was uniquely qualified to help this person. And I got off the coaching call and I felt fantastic about it. In fact, I wrote in my journal today, I thought this was, there was a great use of my time yesterday. I feel like I was able to make a contribution. And so I was happy to be asked. So I think we need to remember that when we're asking other people to help us, provided it's in their area of expertise, it's something where they can really make a contribution, then we shouldn't be so timid about asking because it may be the opportunity that they're actually looking for to make that contribution that, that they couldn't make otherwise. Tip number one 
in getting the help you need is to make it about them and not about you. And tip number two is to be positive. Always good advice, but how does that apply specifically in asking for help? I think when you're asking for help, it's important to remember that your mood is contagious. You know, people are attracted to your level of excitement, to your vision, to your passion um, for what you're asking for. And if you hem and haw and you're kind of overly apologetic, you're going to dissuade people from helping you. What you really want to do is kind of invite them into the bigger story that you're pursuing, that you can't get there on your own. You know, people like to be a part of something. At the same time, you know, you don't want to like oversell it. It and, you know, be dramatic about it, but you certainly don't want to undersell it. You know, again, people want to contribute and they want to be a part of something. And so it's on you to use your kind of positivity and enthusiasm around the request to enlist them. Well, a good example of that, we were asked, I don't know, several months ago now by a friend of ours who wanted some marketing advice because they had a best-selling book that was mm-hmm. going crazy, but they didn't have a business built around that book. And well, that just happens to be one of our expertise. So we were happy to help. And mostly because the way he started the conversation with me when he first asked is he said, I've got kind of an interesting problem that I think you guys would enjoy mm-hmm. solving. And so right. immediately I thought, well, this is kind of a puzzle. Yeah. And so it, it kind of ignited my imagination and my creativity and gave me an opportunity to do something that I don't get the opportunity to do very much anymore, which was to give specific advice over an extended period of time to one of our friends that we really wanted to help succeed anyway. Okay, so there was a study done uh, on hand washing in hospitals. Now, I don't know if this will encourage you or scare the life out of you, but in 2008, uh, they undertook a major study of hand washing in an ICU unit Uh, to see what the compliance rate was, and it was very, very low. Now, here's the thing. They tried to affect that rate by installing video surveillance to tally and record the employees as they went in and out and washing their hands and see if they complied, and they knew this was happening. Still, only 10% responded washing their hands. Now, that's the part that kind of scares me, 10% of people in an ICU washing their hands. But here's the thing. When they shifted from that negative reinforcement, kind of the big brother is watching you, to a positive reinforcement, what they did was install a tally board so that they could compete as shifts to see how they were doing and how they were ranking against the other shifts, the rate soared to 90%. So we have a temptation to motivate negatively sometimes. Uh, to appeal to guilt or other kind of motivators, but the positive seems to be more effective. Have you seen this fail when people uh, use a negative motivator, like you really have to do this or you really ought to do this for me? Yeah, well, I mean, it happens to us pretty frequently, actually, where people ask us for things, and whenever they use either shame or guilt or manipulation, it is an automatic no for me. Like, on principle, no. Mm -mm. Here's a good example of that. When somebody starts a conversation with me and says, look, I know you're really busy, and you've probably got more important things to do, but I could use your help on this. First of all, it sounds like they're sort of acknowledging and respecting me or something, But it feels shameful to me. Right. Like, I don't think I'm such an important person, and not all my time is spoken for, and just tell me what you need. Right. You know, don't don't unsell it before you start to sell it. Or when they say something like, 
I know that you're the only person that could help me. And if I could just get 10 minutes with you. Oh, we get that too. It's just like, yuck. You know, that, first of all, that's a lot of pressure. You know, you, you feel like you're kind of in the mode of saving somebody and that's, don't ever put anybody in that position. No, I don't want to be your savior. Right. We really want to help or the, the kind of requests that we tend to say yes to are the ones that are exciting, you know, that we're, we're coming alongside someone who's having success, who's, who just needs some expertise in a certain area. And that's really fun to help with. Yes. So we're talking about the fact that the very best way to get the help you need is to ask for it. And some tips for doing that. Number one, make it about them, not you. Tip number two, be positive. And tip number three, ask, don't demand. Yeah, I think it's always better when you're straightforward about what you need and you don't beat around the bush or you don't become passive aggressive, you know, saying something like, hey, you know, you really, or imply this, you really owe me one on this. You know, that's, that is not going to work with me. And I, I just think you've got to be direct and you can't demand it. And I occasionally, I mean, Megan, you remember the situation which we had at one of our conferences where somebody demanded that we add them to our uh, coaching program. Yeah. And it, they were, I wouldn't say even assertive, but aggressive. And boy, it oh. left a bad taste in our mouth. Absolutely. I mean, that that person will be infamous for a long time. And they, they, they were felt, entitled. They felt like they, they weren't just wanting to be part of our program. They wanted to be part of it for free. And they thought that we owed it to them because of their situation in their life and, uh, you know, demanded basically um, that you let them in. In fact, kind of cornered you in a really awkward and uncomfortable way that was very disrespectful. Um, and I tell you what, I will not tolerate that. I mean, that that tells me a lot about you as a person and goodbye at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have like zero tolerance I have on zero that. tolerance. You know, I, I didn't think about it that much at the time. It made me uncomfortable for sure. But I don't respond well to people that feel entitled. No. You know, somebody starts demanding my time. Or, you know, the other way that sometimes shows up is people say, look, this is only going to take five minutes of your time. Let me tell you something. Nothing ever takes five Nothing minutes of my time. Nothing takes five minutes. You know, if you're saying five minutes, you've omitted a zero. It's going to be 50 minutes minimum. Mm -hmm. So one way that you could do the opposite of that is, for example, if you're sending an email, you know, you can say to someone... Hey, I understand, you know, if this doesn't work for you, totally no pressure or hard feelings if it doesn't. Um, but I wanted to ask, you know, so you give the person an out and then, you know, if they said yes, that they really mean their yes. That can be very helpful. You know where this shows up for me sometimes? When I go out for book endorsements, mm -hmm. one way to do it would be to send an endorsement. And this hasn't happened too many times uh, where I've been on the receiving end of this, but it has happened occasionally where somebody says, hey, you remember when I endorsed your book? Well, now I need your endorsement of my book, Ugh. you know, and it's kind of that entitlement. But when I go out on endorsements, just because I've endorsed people's books before and I have, I, I'm not going to remind them of that. I'm not going to try to shame them by the fact that I endorsed their book. I'm not being entitled. I'm not assuming that they're just going to endorse my book because I endorse theirs mm -hmm. because they're two different books. Right. You know, their book, you know, it may work for me to endorse their book or vice versa, but it, the, the reciprocal may not work. So I just think you have to ask, not demand. You have to talk about what's in it for them and not what's in it for you, and, which was the first point we made. And part of that is being okay with a no. Yes. And that's, that's the point actually I was trying to get to. So at the end of those emails, I always say, look, if you're too busy to, to do this or just feel like you can't, no worries. We're still friends. And Because by the way, 
writing a book endorsement is a huge commitment. Huge commitment. You have to read the book. If you're going to do it with integrity, you have to read the book or someone on your team has to vet it. You know, you have to write the endorsement. Sometimes you have to go back and forth on that a little bit. Um, and you have to feel great about it. I mean, you actually have to want to endorse it, and which is putting someone in an awkward position because there may be a reason that it's not quite in alignment with their values or what they, how they think about certain things. Anyway, it can be challenging. Yes. So the other night I was having dinner with uh, Mike Boyer on our team and his lovely wife, Verna. And Verna, as you know, she's originally from South Africa, so a, a different cultural context than Mike, who obviously raised in the United States. And they were talking about this very issue of asking versus demanding. And as it turns out, in South Africa, a polite way to ask somebody to help you would go something like this. Uh, Don't you want to get me a cup of coffee? And (laughs) Mike uh, said, you know, to him, that sounded like, get me a cup of coffee, where Verna was trying to say, uh, hey, would you please get me a cup of coffee? And uh, they're totally fine with me relating this, but they shared how they, they had to get over that sort of cultural context. So that brings me to the question, what are some ways that we can phrase and ask so it leaves the other person in control? That's a good point. I like what you said there about leaving the other person in control. I do too. Well, I think the caveat or disclaimer at the bottom of your request, you know, assuming it's in writing, something like, you know, for any reason this, you know, doesn't work for you in your season of life right now, no pressure, you know, that that kind of thing. I've even done that when I've offered people, um, I had this happen recently where we had a, an open room at a retreat that we were going on and we wanted to give it to some friends. And, you know, when you offer something that's valuable like that to someone is a really nice place that we were going, I wanted to make it safe for them to say no. And so I put that at the bottom of my message. And they had to say no because they had a scheduling conflict. Um, Because you just don't want people to feel badly about it. I think that's great. I think what you said about, you know, hey, we'll still be friends, no big deal. Um, Just part of how you leave people in control is giving them an out. I love that. Hey, everybody. Mike Boyer here. Question for you. What's the best way to keep up on the latest from Michael Hyatt and Company? Answer, follow Michael on Instagram. You'll get the inside scoop on new products, and you'll even get some behind-the-scenes glimpses of Michael and Gail's life and travels. That's Michael Hyatt on Instagram. As a reminder, if you're not a subscriber to this podcast, do that right now by tapping subscribe on your device. If you're unsure how, just visit lead2.win and click the subscribe link. It's super easy. Now, back to the show. So tip number one in asking for help is to make it about them, not you. Tip number two, be positive. Tip number three, ask, don't demand. And tip number four, and I've got to put a little asterisk on this one because uh, to confess, I threw this one in based on some of the research that I was doing, and I'm not sure how you guys will feel about it. And the tip is this, ask and then ask again. Now, here's why. Studies show that a follow-up request or a second request is much more effective and gets up to a 50% positive response. So I don't know, how comfortable are you guys with doing that, with making a second request for help? Well, Larry, that's um, a really interesting study. And I think it makes sense to me why that would be effective. I think if someone hasn't told you no... 
then it's fine. You know, like if you've sent an email request, for example, or made a phone call and left a message and you haven't heard back from someone, then I think it's totally appropriate to send in a second request. Um, people often get busy. They're not quite sure. They're checking their calendar. They may not want to say no. Um, or they may need to check with someone else. There's all kinds of reasons people haven't gotten back with you. So I think that makes sense. However, if someone has given you a firm no and you're trying to negotiate them into a yes, um, unless you're in a safe Sales relationship with them. I mean, assuming this is a friend or a coworker or, or someone else, uh, you don't want to be a jerk about it. You know, there is nothing more annoying than someone who cannot take no for an answer and who communicates their entitlement to your time or expertise by continually asking and not giving you an out. So, if you want to have, you know, a long list of enemies, then ignore their nose and. <laughs> Push, push yourself on them. Yeah, it's like somebody said no is a complete sentence. Right. Right? So if somebody says no to you, and that, and that was a helpful distinction because I thought you and I about to have a disagreement, but I, I 100% agree with what you said. If you haven't gotten a no, then it's appropriate to ask. But I would also assume that maybe it's difficult for them to say no and give them a, a way to, to, to get off the hook easily. You know what I'm saying? Right. So you I, really just want to bring it to completion more than that's anything right. else. So if I, if I send, for example, an endorsement request to somebody, and this just happened recently on my book, Free to Focus, where I didn't hear from somebody. And so I had Jim send a follow-up and we still didn't hear back from that person, but I really wanted their endorsement. So I went ahead and wrote back to him and said, look, uh, I'm not sure if this email even got to you, but and if the answer is is no, that's totally acceptable. But I just wanted to give you a shot because I think this is really something that you and I have a lot in common with, and this really fits with your philosophy. And I'd love to have your endorsement. Well, then they got back to me. And they said, "Absolutely. I'm, I I don't know how I missed this, but yes, I definitely want to do this." So in that situation, yes. But if that person has said no, respect that. Respect that. And it's not a sales situation. And when we're this really, I hate it, is in donor situations. So somebody's asked me to make a gift to their organization. And I've said no, because typically we plan our giving a year in advance. And when people ask me now, I say, well, if you want to submit the request, we'll consider it for next year. Mm -hmm. But I'm maxed out for this year. And if I said to them, no, you know, that didn't make the cut. And I wouldn't say quite that that harshly. But, uh, but no, we're not going to do that. And they keep coming back or they want to meet with me to talk through it even more. No. It's obnoxious. It's obnoxious. You don't get it and I don't want to deal with you. So tip number one in asking for help is to make it about them, not you. Tip number two, be positive. Number three, ask but don't demand. And tip number four, ask again. And we'll modify that to say ask again if you haven't had a firm no. That brings us to tip number five, which is reward the people who volunteer. Obviously, we're not talking about money there. How do you do it? Well, the goal here is to reinforce the behavior (laughs) and express your appreciation, you know, to that person. You want to make sure that it was a great experience for them to help you because you want them to help you potentially in the future and you value your relationship with them and all kinds of reasons. So a couple of thoughts here. Um, you know, a thank you note, a handwritten thank you note goes a long way. Mm-hmm. This is something we try to do often and where you're intentional about calling out um, what kind of contribution they made, what impact it had on you or your business or whatever they were helping you with. So you're reinforcing um, that they made a significant contribution and what you appreciate about them. You're also reinforcing the idea that they didn't have to do it, that it was a gift 
uh, a free gift, you know, either literally or, um, you know, certainly probably um, didn't pay what they would would be paid in the market for what they gave you. And you just want to express gratitude. You know, that's part of humility. That's part of good relational skills. So I think a handwritten note is probably the best way to go with this. Sometimes you can give people a gift that you know would be particularly meaningful for them, but mostly they just want to know that um, you noticed, that it had an impact, and they made a contribution that was meaningful to you and to them. And it also indicates that you're not on to the next thing, that their input was not trivial, because probably it cost them something. Right. Cost them time, uh, cost them their creativity. You know, they took time away from something else, a project of theirs, to give you that time. Mm -hmm. We have in the past sent gifts, and I actually like sending gifts. Yeah. You know, when we've had people on our panels at our conferences. Yes. You know, we sent a follow-up gift. This might be a little bit controversial, but we as an organization have moved away from affiliate marketing. Mm-hmm. So in other words, we're not promoting other people's products as affiliates. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a situation where I'm going to promote their product and they're going to pay us a commission. What I prefer to do now is I just like to refer people to people that I like, mm-hmm. right? And so occasionally those people will send me a gift card and that's a that's a nice thing to do. You know, I, it's not required. I would do it anyway because I believe in what they're doing, but it is nice to know that they've noticed. Mm-hmm. I would take, though, a handwritten card any day of the week over a gift card. True. I mean, I think it's just rare anymore that people take the time to do that, and it feels so personal, and acknowledgement is really what I want more than stuff. You know, I can get stuff on my own. One of the things about gifts that I don't like is people give it in advance of the ask in order to use the law of reciprocity Mm -hmm. to create an unevenness in in the relationship so that now I feel obligated. So I had, for example... Somebody that was trying to get an appointment with me because they wanted to sell me uh, their services. So literally for a probably about, and I'm not making this up, for probably eight years. What? Eight years. They sent me an elaborate Christmas gift that was always over the top. A couple of times, this actually started when I was at Thomas Nelson, I sent the gift, sent the gift back. And I said, wow. I can't receive this. Well, then they just kept coming. And I, I didn't... it. it it ticked me off. I'm going to tell you, it ticked me off because I I knew exactly what was happening, that he was trying to create a sense of obligation right? so that I would take his meeting and I wasn't going to take the bait. So as a thank you, that's one thing. As sort of a uh, precursor to an ask, that feels manipulative to me. Oh, I hate it. And, and again, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just not going to do it. <laughs> we, should, we could retitle this or subtitle this whole episode, How to Tick Us Off. Right. Gosh. <laughs> Today, we've learned that the very best way to get the help you need is to ask for it. And you can do that by making it about them, not about you, being positive, ask, don't demand, ask again if you haven't received an answer, and reward those who volunteer. So what do you hope leaders will do next with this information? I hope people will ask for the help they need. If you're growing an organization that's fast growing, it's going to be outside of your expertise. You're going to constantly be encountering problems and issues that you need some outside help on. Sometimes you can hire that. I mean, we do that a lot. We hire outside consultants and you know people that can help us with specific problems. But oftentimes, the people that can help you are people you already know, and all you have to do is ask. They would be happy, thrilled to help you. Megan, Michael, thank you for sharing this very practical uh, information today. 
Thanks, Larry. And thank you for joining us on Lead to Win. Be here next week because we're going to air a special episode of Megan's recent keynote at the Best Year Ever Conference, where she talks about her year of facing fear and what that means to you. Until then, Lead to Win. It's obnoxious. You don't get it, and I don't want to deal with you. Okay. The end. <laughs> Can you put a chopping sound in? <laughs> Bring down the hammer. Yeah, the whole show is over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> end <over>. scene. <laughs> this episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by The Focused Leader One Day Intensive, a live event to help leaders move their business from reactive to radical growth. Find out more at focusedleader.com.